0: very much, and Bob. Uh, like Bob said, we're in week three of our series called Life Hack. And basically what a life hack is, it's like something you have lying around the house that you've always had and you end up using it in a way you didn't, hadn't thought of before. And once you use it in that way, you'll never see going back again. And it's something that makes your life better. And so uh, like we promised from the beginning of the series, every week I will have a new life hack that you can take with you. So if you're not even, you don't even believe in the Bible, somebody drug you here, you're just like, man, I don't even know about this kind of stuff. At least on Monday, you'll go to, back to work and you'll go, I just learned something awesome at church and it doesn't even have to do with the Bible. Okay, so I don't know if uh, many of you uh, cook or whatever, but um, sometimes you have to separate the yolk from the egg whites, okay? And that can be difficult. From what I understand, uh, I don't cook or bake or anything like that unless it's toast. Um, And I'm not really even that good at cracking eggs, but I'll do this anyway. So you have your egg, and I'll I'll just uh, crack it on here real quick. Okay, good. Oh, man, did I break the yolk? Nuts. Okay, so you take an egg, okay, (laughs) and you crack it. I was so good at this first service. It was incredible. Okay, there we go. Good. All right. So I gotta get this, I gotta get this yolk out of the egg whites. So I take this bottle and I press on it a little bit and then I suck it up. Ooh, that didn't work. Hold on, we got it, we got it. Come to daddy. Ooh. Yeah. Oh man. There we go. Oh, yes. Got it. See that? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> that took way longer than I planned on it. Take it. Okay. And that's the sermon, so have a nice day. Uh, <laughs> no, so that, that's a life hack. So, so basically you kind of get the concept that uh, a life hack is something that puts egg whites all over your Bible. Um, there we go. Okay. It's just basically something like that. You wouldn't think to use it that way, and so you do, and now you'll never see life the same, and, uh, and that's great, and it's great for separating egg yolks. Here's the thing. The Bible has all sorts of life hacks in it, and these are things that God has readily available for anyone to use, anyone to pick up at any time, and so what we're going to be doing in this uh, series is looking at some of the things that God says, man, if you would just pick that up and use it the way it was intended, your life uh, would not be the same. And so this morning, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about um, the concept of, um, of money. And uh, if, again, if you're new to church and you're thinking, oh man, why did I come at this week? I don't know why you came this week, but this is the, what we're talking about. And, um, and so we're in an election time. And uh, if you're watching the news at all, you'll see a lot of the different candidates on there. And if you know anything about me, um, it's the worst time. I, I, I just am not into the political thing. As a matter of fact, I read an idea online that said um, that, that if you could come up with a way to like put somebody in a coma and then wake them up after the election that i would i would totally pay for that like just to be just to be done with it i wake up uh, and so in this whole thing you'll hear all the candidates talking about all sorts of stuff you'll hear things like the rich uh, you'll hear words: the poor, middle class, income inequality, uh, all these different things. And so each candidate's going to have an idea for this and that, and who gets what, and you know what 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 side you're on. And again, what I love about our church here is we're pretty much right right down the middle. We got people on the left, people on the right, what 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 have you. And so you you, you know you guys will probably cancel each other out when you vote, which is kind of cool. Um, but uh, but they'll all have their, their their ideas. And here here's the thing that's so interesting. I will bet you, if I were to ask any of you to, like, raise your hand if you're rich, (laughs) nobody would raise their hand, okay? And as a matter of fact, um, uh, uh, Gallup did a poll in 2011 and asked people, how much money would you need to make in order to be rich? And what was fascinating about the results was that the answer, the, 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 the overall median answer, like for if you take everybody's number, was $150,000. That was kind of the median answer. But what was fascinating was that people who made less, like people who were in the $30,000 a year bracket, said $60,000. That's what they would need to just feel rich, just to be like, oh man, I don't, I don't I ever have to worry about money anymore. Now, I don't know how much you make, but I know in our church there are people who make more than $60,000 a year, and I can almost guarantee you they're not going, it is $60,000. I am very rich, right? right? And, and, and statistically, and with this poll, it was the same thing. People who made $60,000 thought $120,000. And there was a pattern that no matter what you made, Doubling that was kind of the thing you would think to yourself of like, wow, now, now why is that? And, and, and like, if you're making $60,000, why can't you think like somebody making $30,000 and go, oh man, this is fantastic. We just don't. We always think we need more. Now, as I read the Bible, and as I have my own relationship with God and all that, that doesn't sound like a good life. Like if my going around my life and, the all, and, and no matter where I am, I want more, that's kind of a sad life. And I would venture to say that most of you guys sitting here would think to yourself, "Wow, if I had just a little bit more." But you forget that you probably were at that place farther down the road earlier. You know where you said, "Man, if I could just make fifty thousand dollars when you were making forty thousand, now you make fifty, you're wishing you had sixty, and it just keeps going on and on and on." There was another poll done uh, by the United Bank of Switzerland, and, and they published it in Forbes magazine, and they they took they polled people who had a million dollars just. Of, of liquid assets, not including their house. They just had a million dollars, okay? So stocks, you know, stuff that they had access to. And, and, and 70% of them, so, so here's the thing. If I said to you, I'm going to, because I'm a pastor and I'm very nice, I'm going to give you a million dollars, right? You would probably think to yourself, as would I, if he gave me a million dollars, I probably would not be worried about money at all. A million dollars? You know what I could do with a million dollars? I'd keep it in the bank, and I'd just, I'd keep my job, and I'd keep that in the bank, and then I'd get about 5% interest. I'd add that on, and oh, I'd be set. I'd be, And then at the end, I'd have a million dollars still. Do you know 70% of people who had access to $1 million, you know what the number they wanted to say, okay, then I'll be saved? Five million. It just doesn't matter. And I'll bet the person who has five million probably thinks, oh, if I just had eight million, there's something in us as humans that always want a little bit more. Doesn't that sound like a curse? That appetite that can never be satisfied, that no matter what my raise is and what my thing is, I always want more. What is that? And how do we stop it? Can it even be stopped? Well, that's a great question. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. What happens when you just want more and more and more and more? Andy Stanley, in his book, How to Be Rich, has this great line. He says, if you feed an appetite, it grows. So when, when, you, when you feed an appetite, it doesn't, it doesn't stop the appetite. The appetite grows. Satisfying an appetite does not diminish it. It expands it. And you've probably seen this uh, many times in your own life or what have you in different areas. This is not just uh, financial. This is also emotional. It's all, all these different things. To diminish an appetite, you have to starve it. Uh, we had a, a friend uh, stop eating sugar for 90 days. And so, well, he's not my friend anymore. but Because um, that's, just, that's just like crazy voodoo stuff. But he stopped e- eating sugar for 90 days. And at the end of the 90 days, he ha- he had some sugar. And it was like... You know, he like went into, what is it, apoplectic shock or whatever. It's like, it was so sweet and so, oh, it was just so, like it tasted so gross to him. Why? He had starved the appetite that he, he had no taste really for it anymore. Now, what if you could do that with your appetite for money? What if you could get to a place where you did not need more? You were fine where you're at. Now, that sounds like crazy communist talk, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially in America. I know what you're talking about. But what, what, if it, what if it could actually happen? Well, Paul wrote a letter to a guy named Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege. And um, Paul was essentially trying to raise him up to be a pastor. And so Paul wrote Timothy some letters, kind of some uh, instructional letters on, hey, when you're, when you're running the church, these are the things you want to look out for when, when you're, when you're, um, uh, th- this is what a healthy church looks like. And so, so in uh, 1 Timothy, which is the first letter that we have to Timothy, um, uh, Paul is uh, in chapter six. If you want to turn there, if you brought your Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter six, or if you have a mobile device that has it on there. Uh, um, he's trying to talk to them about what do you do with the rich people in your church? Now, here's the thing. The other thing that's really weird about uh, wealthy people, it's very hard to find people who will call themselves rich. That was one of the things they found out about this Gallup poll. Nobody would say, I'm rich. Even if they were making $10 million a year, they just wouldn't say that. That they, and you would think to yourself, man, well, $10 million a year, they're, they're, they're rich. But they didn't think of themselves as rich. As a matter of fact, last year, uh, I was reading this article. Uh, 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 last year, we just kind of flipped into 80, the 85, this is going to blow your mind, the 85 most wealthiest individuals in the world, okay, 85, have as much wealth as the rest of the world. Eighty-five people control half of the world's wealth. Is that mind-boggling or not? I mean, that, that is crazy. Now, they're rich, okay, right? I mean, we got to at least admit that. Here's the crazy thing about them. If you ask them, would you like more, they would say yes. They watch their portfolios just like you and I would. Half of the world's wealth and you want more? Now, fortunately, uh, uh, we're not, we don't own half the world's wealth here. Uh, um, But here's the thing. If you look at the world as a bunch of humans, statistically, you and I are rich. If you make $40,000 in household income, you are at the top, 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 top. It's incredible. But you'd never say you were rich. What if God thought you were rich? What if God said, man, I, I can see the whole entire world and I see how everybody lives and all this kind of stuff, and you guys, you guys are pretty wealthy. What would he have to say to us if he thought we were rich? So here we go. First Timothy chapter 6. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. This is the first thing. So in, in this, one of the downsides of being rich is that you become arrogant. You think you deserved it. <laughs> you think that what you have, you earned yourself. Now, uh, again, imagine if God thinks you're rich. M- maybe you're this way. I'm this way a lot of time. I will look at what I have and I will fool myself into thinking I made that happen. I'll fool myself into thinking I can make it happen again. I'll fool myself into thinking, well, if I, you know, I I work hard. I work hard for my stuff and all that. And I, you know, I deserve it. Paul says this, command that guy, that pastor. (laughs) Hey, don't be arrogant. You, you, You didn't, that wasn't, that had nothing to do with you. Okay, But that's one of the things that happens. It's one of the strangleholds that happens when we get caught up in in, in finances, when we get caught up in money, when it becomes too important to us. We start getting our value from how much money we have. And God does not do that. And so that's the first thing he says. Command those who are rich, who make over $30,000 a year, uh, in this present world, not to be arrogant. Another interesting thing I was thinking about this week as I was going through this text... If you just showed up to this church, like right now, so it's, it's back 2,000 years ago, and you just showed up at this church with all the stuff you currently have now, would they think you were rich? <laughs> you bet. You bet. You got scientific, futuristic phones that you can go do all that. You got a car. You can actually travel. You can just go anywhere you want and just go get food. That, that was like unheard of. There. You've got refrigeration. They would think you're rich. Like Timothy would go to you and go, hey, dude, I got this letter from Paul. Uh, don't be arrogant, okay, because you're so w- w- wealthy. So it was just interesting to me, and I just wanted to make you feel uncomfortable. Okay, so it says, in this present w- world, not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Isn't that true? That is so true that wealth is uncertain. You never know. Some, haven't you heard of people? They lose, they lose millions of dollars. I, uh, if you watch ESPN at all, I don't. I'm usually just doing chores, but um, I've heard about men who do. And uh, there's, this, there's this 30 for 30 is the name of the series, and one of them was called Broke. And it was going over um, these athletes who've made millions and millions and millions, and within five years after they retire, uh, not retire, like you, you retire at like 27 when you're doing that, it's all gone. It's all gone because it's uncertain. The idea is that when you have more, that just gives you more to consume and that's not God's way. And so he says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. I love this proverb. I want to just sidetrack for one second because it's so awesome. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. (laughs) I remember that one of the richest Uh, times I ever felt in my entire life. I was 13 years old and I had a paper route and um, I got this paper route. We didn't have any money. We had no, no money. My parents were poor. And uh, so I got this paper route so I could kind of get myself some stuff (laughs) because my parents weren't going to get it. And so I wanted this bike, this Webco BMX bike with Shimano brakes and uh, array of rims, okay, that just don't snake belly tires. Don't even ask me about it. Just that's the bike I wanted, okay. And so I got that bike. I saved and saved and saved. I got that bike and then I used it for my paper route and and everything was cool. Well, then I didn't have anything else to buy. I had already bought the bike So my paycheck just went into my bank account. And I remember looking at my bank account one time, and I had $500 that was mine. And I had zero expenses. And I remembered I would would open up my bank statement, right? And I'd look at it, and I'd be like, I'm untouchable. Like... Like, this is so, the feeling, I felt so safe. I felt so, like, like, oh, like, anything could happen, right? Because I had a high wall in my own imagination. Now I look at $500, and I'm like, well, that's just a trip to the, like, garage. You know what I mean? Just like, that guy just grabs it all and takes it says, it's like a high wall in his own imagination. Nor put hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So then what do we do? And Paul goes on. And this is going to bug you a little bit, because it kind of does me. Paul just gives this answer that's way easier said than done, okay? He says, don't, don't trust in wealth. Don't, don't worry. That, that stuff's uncertain. Uh, put their hope in God. Okay. <laughs> Like, how, how do you do that? How, how do you get from money, which is there? Like, I need money to buy food and to pay my mortgage or pay the rent or make that car payment or whatever. I need to, how do you just go, but I'm just going to put my hope in God. Like, God's, God's not going to write me a check, is he? God's not going to, like, you know, my boss does that. Like, I get auto deposit. That's how I get my my check. God's not just going to all of a sudden just start, is he? Like, how do I go from money to God? And for a lot of us, too, especially in our church, you're going through some real hard financial problems right now either unemployed, underemployed, whatever, you you, you look at the expenses column, and you look at the income column, and they don't really match up, and you're just, you're just, it's just eating, eating away. How do you put your trust in God? Well, here's the cool thing. He gives us a little hint on how we do it, and he could say a lot of things right now about God. So he says, put your hope in God. The The all-knowing, all-powerful, mighty God. He could say that. You know, that's true. He could say, uh, put your hope in God who loves you. He could could say that. It's very interesting that words that the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to use as he describes this God that you're supposed to hope in. Here's what he says. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, you're supposed to enjoy your money. You're supposed to enjoy dinner out, (laughs) you know? You're supposed to enjoy all that kind of stuff. The operative word here is provides. See, if I feel like I have to provide, money becomes bondage to me. Because I got to make it happen. If I want more of it, I got to do it, right? If, if I think I'm the one who, who takes care of everything, this is why Paul starts out. Don't tell him not to be arrogant. It's not you. Yes, you're smart. You have a degree. You are an engineer or you own your own business and you're real good at all that. I, I get all that. But guess what? You do not provide for yourself. God provides for you. And he provides for you everything for our enjoyment. The problem is we always want more. And so if we can get to a place where, wow, you mean to tell me that that I can trust my heavenly father enough that whatever I'm making right now, he's provided for me and I'll be okay. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Tell those rich people, do not trust in your money. It'll never be enough. You'll never have enough. You'll always want more. Put your trust in God. He's the one who provides. And we say this a lot at our church, uh, that God has not called us to kingship, but to stewardship. And so it's not our money that we're in control of and I get to do whatever I want with it. It's all God's money. He gives it to us to entrust us with it and we're able to enjoy it, okay, without guilt. But he wants, he has something to say about how we spend it, how we save it, and where we give it. And he always has, as a matter of fact uh there's a story um in uh the book of mark it's also in Luke, and uh Jesus is at the temple, and um he's looking at the the, the way they had it was when you'd give it would be like kind of like ours, like a box in the back and the and that um that you know if you don't they didn't give a, online back then uh, and so uh, you'd take your money and you'd put it in the in the box and some of the wealthier Pharisees and stuff would make a big deal when they put their money in the in the, in the back. I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas but you know how all that you know, the coins make all that noise and you're thinking man that guy must have won like a billion dollars and you look and it's just like 10 bucks but they make it sound like that's what they would do they just put it on and make it loud sometimes they blow a trumpet and all this kind of stuff to show how spiritual they were What's fascinating to me is that Jesus was really interested in this. He was interested in the giving. And so he's looking and he sees this widow walk up. Now, widow back in those days, um, unless you had an estate or had some type of, you, weren't, you were in trouble because you had no way of, of supplying for yourself. And so this widow goes and he calls his disciples. He's like, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. You got to see this. Jesus is fascinated with this woman, this widow. She puts in two copper coins. These copper coins were so small uh, that that, that the Roman and Greek, it was too small for their currency. This was a Hebrew thing that she had. And so it it represented essentially six minutes of wage. (laughs) That's what it was. So think about how much you make for an hour, okay? Divide that by uh, 10 or whatever, and then you've you've got your, that's how much she gained two copper coins. Watch what Jesus says. It's fascinating. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put, the the operative word of the morning, more into the treasury than all the others. Here's the thing. That's not true. She didn't put in more. Right? She, she put in less. She put in two copper coins. They put in more. Unless Jesus has a different value system than we do. Unless Jesus sees money differently than we do. Unless Jesus, more to Jesus, doesn't have to do with zeros and commas. More has to do with your heart. And this is the number one thing Jesus is looking for when it comes to getting you out of the grip of money. He wants your heart. And he says, really specifically, he says, you cannot serve God money. You just, you can't. He says, where your treasure is, the thing that you value the most, that's where your heart's going to be. And this woman was this example of someone who said, I. and he goes on, so he says, more Uh, then all the others, they all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. That is somebody who is trusting in their heavenly father. She puts those things in there and she says, you know what, Lord, I I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know where my next meal is coming from, but I trust in you. I trust that you're you're, going to take care of me. Um, it's really cool. Uh, Andy Stanley in his book, uh, How to Be Rich. And basically, the premise of the book is that we are actually all rich. And so, because we are, we might as well be good at it. And that most people who are rich aren't very good at it. And so, it's kind of these principles and, uh, about uh, money and all these things. But he says this My hope is not in riches, but in a God that richly provides. That's kind of the main point of his book. My hope is not in riches. But in a God that richly provides that widow was just exemplified that. And so it says uh, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, then he goes on again and he, he he kind of Paul is talking about this this other value system that's not based on money. It's not based on how much is in your bank account. It, it, the, the, the value system that God's looking for is your heart. He wants your heart. Uh, and so he says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. You know what's really cool about this? It's is interesting. If I were a um, multi-multi-millionaire and I went to church here, um, first I'd, I'd, I'd buy the pastor a BMW. But the second thing I'd do uh, is... Um, I would probably get out of stuff because I just pay money, right? It's like, hey, can you, can you work in children's ministry? Like, no, but I'll hire four people to do it if you want. You know, I mean, I, like, I, I, I don't want to do it. This is so cool. Paul kind of shifts it and goes, no, 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 no. You're not going to use your wealth to get out of doing good deeds. Okay, you're going to be a part of it. So he says, command them to, uh, to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And then here he goes, and this is the life hack. And to be generous and willing to share. Let me tell you something: generosity begins right where you are right now. It's not, man. If I make this much more, if I do this, if I get to this certain level, oh, you'll hear people all the time. I've said it myself before. I wish, I wish I made this much money because I could do so much. I could do so much good. I could do so much. Oh, man. Oh, if I didn't have to worry about money, I, I could, I, I could, oh, I could help out this and help out that. You can help out this and help out that right now, no matter how much money you have. It's only the idea that more money brings more uh, ability to do stuff. That, that is not a biblical concept. Paul's saying, man, be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. You start right now. I, just real quick, just because I bring it up every few months or whatever. One of the most brilliant s- systems that, that I can see in the Bible is that of the tithe. And uh, a tithe just means tenth, and it just means that you give 10% of your income, uh, in, in our case, to, um, to your local church, okay? And um, it's, it's, one-tenth is basically giving back to God what is already God's, okay? He gives you 100%, you get to keep 90, you give 10 back to him. But it is hard if you didn't start out as a little tyke uh, doing that. Because if all of a sudden, right now, you're making $70,000 a year, and I tell you, oh, and that's cool, and then um, give back to God $7,000, you're like, oh, no, I think I'll join some cult. I mean, it's like you're not, it's like $7,000. But if you had started when you were little, like I praise God, my old pastor, Pat, Paul Cedar, when I was, when I got that paper out and he gave his example, he had giant hands. They were huge, and he said, Um, he t- kind of showed how you give 10%. And I was like, 10% was like 13 bucks out of my $130 check. Are you out of your mind? But I did it. And then that became 100 bucks when I was making $1,000. And then it became, but I never really thought of it. I always just kind of took it into account. Well, this is one of the ways God can have you release your grip and trust in money. And to trust in him. It's just a brilliant thing. And the cool thing about it is it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's the same, 10%, whatever. Whether you, you make $10, you give a dollar to him. You make $10,000, well, that's a little harder. You give him $1,000. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the way it goes. So, but it, let me just give you a story, and I've told this story before. Uh, Lisa and I had bought a house. We were very young when we bought our house. I think like 26 or something like that. And... Um, the day we bought our house, the market tanked. I'm I'm a genius when it comes to this stuff. Uh, and so we, they tell you to stretch t- to get into your first home. We stretched and pulled ligaments. The uh, So right when we bought, buy the house, the market just starts, you know, just going down, 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 down. And we had an adjustable rate mortgage. And so our mortgage rate kept going up higher and higher. So we were paying more for a, a house that we owned for, that was worth less. And so... Um, which, uh, just so you know, and you can take this to work tomorrow, you're supposed to do the opposite, okay? So that, that should be helpful. Well, it got to a point, uh, and I would, we'd get our, we'd get our monthly, I mean, our, every six months, you know, we get the letter that says, oh, and now we need your second child. Uh, and so, um, I remember one time we got to a point where I could write my mortgage payment or I could write my tithe check. That was it. Now, I was the one doing the finances at the time, and so I had to go tell my wife (laughs) that I could either write the mortgage or the tithe check. So I was already kind of embarrassed that I didn't really do a very good job monitoring our our, uh, cash flow. Um, But I said, we have a decision to make. We either lose the house or we keep the house and we just hold off on the tithe a little bit, and then we can make it up later (laughs) or whatever my thing was. I remember Lisa, because Lisa's got way more faith than I do. Uh, she's like, well, of course we're going to pay the tithe, Jack. Pay the tithe. And I'm like, I was just testing you. I was planning on doing that all along. You know, of course we are, you know. I'm like, oh, you know. And, and so we did. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What happened that day, and this is why I've told the story before, uh, my life changed. There was a, a, a relief. I like all of a sudden didn't care about the house anymore. I assumed we were going to lose it. And it was like, you know what? This is exactly where I want to be. I want to be at a place where I can step out in obedience without any way of knowing how in the world it's going to turn out. And, And at that time, we just, it was just like, there was just this release for us. Now, I know this is difficult and it's a hard word and if you're not there yet and, you know, and this, is, this is tough. But maybe you start with some percentage. Maybe you start with 4% or something like that. But something that you've gone before your Heavenly Father and said, this is what I'm committing to do and then you do it. And you just watch. And then maybe next year it goes to 6% or whatever. Now, I, I'll tell you, we ended up keeping the house and, and there were some miraculous things that happened for us to be able to do that. But even if we did not, I would have rather have paid my tithe and lost the house and feel as free as I did then. And so this is why he says this. He says, be generous, willing to share. God's got you. He's got it. He's, he's the one who richly provides. Now watch what happens. In this way, they will lay up for themselves, uh, lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Now, this is what Paul does. He links somehow. How you handle money here has eternal spiritual significance. It's incredible to me. I don't know how it works. It's above my pay grade, but there's something that happens. If you can get your grip off of money and you can be able to go, you know what? God's provided for me. I'm going to, I'm going to, be generous with it. I'm going to, it's God's anyway. I, I know he's going to take care of me. There's something that happens where we lay up treasures uh, as a firm foundation for the coming age. There's something that happens. I, I believe that's what happened to us when we wrote that check. I feel like we just connected with something spiritual. As bizarre as that sounds. And then he says one other thing that I just, if you could get, grab a hold of this for this week and, and the coming weeks, And you begin to really think about it and think about where do I give, how do I give, how much do I give, who do I give to, all those types of things. If you could catch this next verse, this next kind of part of the sentence, because I think this is the heart of what God is trying to do. See, I don't think when God issued the tithe, I don't think he was going, give me my money, okay? I don't think he was going, hey the pastor needs a comb over and he needs a jet and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, come on, you know, I, I don't think that's what he had to do. I, I, think, I think he had something else in mind, and I think what he had in mind was freedom. I really do. Watch what it says here. He says, in the same way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. And so if you're like me, you're thinking... Well, the coming age, I mean, that's good. But what's in it for me right now? Here's what's in it for you right now. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, if you have and you want more and you get more and you want more and you want more and you want more, that's not life. That sounds like bondage to me. That that sounds like, that just sounds like, I don't know, hell's probably too big of a word, but it just sounds terrible. What if, what if you trusted your heavenly father enough that with what you have right now, you were content? Completely content. Does that not sound like the life that is truly life? Being able to enjoy what I have right now, not needing this and not needing that and not, not need, but I can just say, you know what, God, you've given me, in Proverbs 30, um, I think it's verse 8, but I'm not sure. Just read the whole, it's short, so you can read the whole thing. In Proverbs 30, it says, Lord, give me neither riches nor poverty, in riches, I'll, 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 I'll be too um, happy with myself and think, oh, I don't need God. And if I have poverty, I might be tempted to steal and I might uh, bring prof- uh, profanity to your name or profane your name. And, and, uh, but that, that's, imagine if you were there, like, hey, you know what? This is my, and, and then it says, uh, but only my allotted portion, he says. The writer of Proverbs says that. But only my allotted portion. Maybe, maybe. Maybe we have our allotted portion right now and we don't need any more. Maybe God, through generosity, through giving, through the life hack of just going, you know what? I love money so much, it doesn't make sense that I would give it away, but that's what I'm going to do. And all of a sudden you go, maybe I don't love money so much. As Audra comes back up, um, she's going to, uh, sing a song with Seth, and um, maybe God wants to talk to you at this about this issue. Maybe, maybe it's something really practical. Like, you know what? I want you to start giving sacrificially as a percentage. Talk to your spouse or whatever. Like, you know, maybe God's that specific. Like, dude, you, we've talked about this before. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe it's something different. Maybe there's somebody in your life where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to write them an anonymous check. They're in need. I'm not going to let anybody know. I'm just going to try to get rid of some of my money so it doesn't have a grip on me. I don't know. My, my, my hope, my prayer is that we, be, that we are a church that just does this naturally. You know what's really cool? Real quick before, sorry for calling you up and then gabbing on and on. Last week, um, we were uh, selling backpacks, Right? And, and and this is what I love about our church so much. So we had 150 backpacks we needed to buy to take care of 10 schools, and then the rest went to the Thomas House um, for families that are in transition. 150 backpacks. We needed $600, and you guys just did it, just like that. See, that? that's a church that gets it. That's a church that says, you know what? Yeah, I could keep the 25 bucks, or I can make sure some kid has a backpack. This is what God wants in all areas of your life financially, that kind of mindset. And so anyway, I was just very proud of you guys, and uh, it's just awesome. We did 75 backpacks last year. We did 150 this year. That's just just amazing. But I'm going to pray for us, and then um, you can meet with God for a little bit, and then I'll come up and bless us. Lord God, as we are in this quiet, time and just the time to meet with you, I just pray that we would hear your voice and Lord that we would have the the um, just the courage to step out in generosity the courage to risk dollars knowing that you are our provider who richly provides for our enjoyment. So Lord we just we want so badly to trust you in this area. So Lord we, we listen to your voice in Jesus'